Hello Pod, I'm Chris Hewitt and welcome to a very special edition of the Empire Podcast. Very special and very sad indeed. Earlier today, the news broke that the legendary Sir Roger Moore, the third and for many the best James Bond, had died at the age of 89. We loved Sir Roger here at Empire. He was always friendly and generous to us. He had a treasure trove of amazing anecdotes and he was the epitome of class. And so when we started thinking of a way to pay suitable tribute to the great man, we remembered that he'd come to our pod booth way back in 2012, back when the podcast was in its infancy, for a long interview, really long interview that covered pretty much every aspect of his illustrious career from Bond to non-Bond alike. And we even got asked about his perfect Christmas dinner. Now, for reasons that escape us, this podcast seems to have disappeared from iTunes, so we've decided to present it to you again. So, pour yourself a dry martini, shaken not stirred, and raise your eyebrow to the highest mass possible as Neil Alcock, Nick Dissemlian, and I talk to the late, great Sir Roger Moore. I say this all the time on the Empire podcast. I, I always say we're delighted to be joined in the pod booth by such and such. But in this case, it is a genuine delight and an honour to be joined by Sir Roger Moore on well, the Empire podcast. Hello, sir. Well, sir, thank, thank, thank you very much. That's very <laughs> kind of you. you uh, drop, drop the sir. <laughs> of course, of course. Yeah. I, I, I should call, do. You call me Charlie. <laughs> <laughs> so, Charlie, um, you're, you're now on your, uh, your... This is your third book, Bond on Bond. I mean, you wrote a Live and Let Die diary. Uh, yes. Was that, which was taken from your your, your diaries at, during the, the making of the film? Uh, during the making of Live and Let Die. Mm-hmm. Yes, it was, it was the publicity uh, department's idea that I should record my day's thoughts. Mm-hmm. So some days I had clean thoughts and some <laughs> days I didn't, and they put them all together and uh, uh, produced... Uh, you know, there were, there were the things they edited out uh, because they said the children might read this. I think I probably spoke about diarrhoea or something. <laughs> But anyway, was that a, was that that a problem? Life. That is life. That is life. <laughs> uh, and then uh, that wasn't repeated. But then you, you wrote "My Word Is My Bond," and now "Bond on Bond," yes, which is uh, about the whole franchise uh, itself. And you you once said you wouldn't really talk about the other Bonds and the other Bond movies. So what what changed your mind? Well, I couldn't write about Bond over fifty years without writing about the other Bonds. <laughs> Mark you, I, I hadn't seen Skyfall. Mm-hmm. And I, I really would like to add a couple of pages. Okay. Talk about uh, how great Skyfall is and how it's going to guarantee the franchise going on for at least another 50 years. And the right bond, the right time, but really a great bond is Daniel Craig. Mm-hmm. Really, really great film. Might be wrong, but I believe there's a, a Live and Let Die reference in there in the form of Daniel Craig kind of jumping onto the uh, the Komodo dragons in that pit. Was that, do you, did you think that was a reference to the... the yes, it was, it was. I had a quick flashback. <laughs> yeah. He wasn't wearing the crocodile shoes, the alligator skin shoes that well, you were wearing. He couldn't have had lizard shoes. <laughs> what, was, what was it he jumped on, a lizard? I or? think they were Komodo dragons. Right? Komodo dragons, oh, yeah. Komodo dragons, oh, the worst. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Yeah, you couldn't get anything you can get <laughs> shoes. No, that was a pretty sick mistake on my part, suggesting that I should wear crocodile shoes when running over them. <laughs> Did you get a lot of flack? Well, no, because, they, you know, there were 1,500 those terrible beasts there. Uh, mm-hmm. 
and one of them was related <laughs> to those shoes. <laughs> you know, they carry an odour, those nasty eyes that they have. Oh, my word. Yeah, we, we had, I did a film called Shot of the Devil, and we shot that in Africa, um, in South Africa, and on the Umzivubu River, mm -hmm. which is sharks go upstream in it, or upriver. <laughs> Uh, and and there's a lot of crocodiles and we we had a scene where I'm very close to the crocodile's mouth and they had a fake crocodile with a man inside and it was a, a stunt man who was inside and there was terrible sort of strangulated screams coming from inside. <laughs> he suddenly had terrible claustrophobia. Oh, my word. I also think he had the fear that he was a male false <laughs> crocodile or a female and uh, uh, either a gay crocodile was going to come along <laughs> or a male crocodile <laughs> and, and give him a good time. That's why frogs... Uh, make those noises because they, they cannot tell what the sex is of the frog they've jumped on and so they jump on the wrong one and he says get off get off and that's what you hear all night long in the swamp get off get off I was wondering if the, the man in the uh, fake crocodile inspired the gag in Octopussy where you hid inside a crocodile no that was uh I don't think the inspiration came from that. It was like, it looked like a real crocodile, the one we had in Octopussy. Mm. But there, there were a couple of crocodiles rolling around, uh, which again was quite worrying. Yeah. It was it was a day of absolute horror. I remember because it was between Christmas and New Year, and Cubby said, "Roger, we have to get all these shots, and if you can do them." Now you can have a long Christmas. <laughs> I said, what, what shots do we have to do? There was the thing with a snake crawling up my leg as I hide in bush, then running through uh, awful spiders' webs, and, and then in with the crocodiles, all in one day. It was no wonder that I became slim while I was <laughs> making up for it now. I could hardly get through the door of the studio. <laughs> Um, Rewatching Live and Let Die is a fantastic experience because your first shot, the very first shot of you as James Bond, yeah. is very instructive because you start as you mean to go on in bed with a girl. Because uh, was the idea that your Bond all along would be more of a lover than a fighter? And yeah, yeah, I'm a lover. Sean was a killer. Daniel Craig is a real killer. Mm. Was there was there a deliberate kind of intention to make yours to distance your Bond? from Sean straight away so, yes. so you weren't even in the pre credit scene but you you were immediately joking around with the no, young lady it was, it was, it was deliberately uh, planned that I, I wouldn't the guy Hamilton had directed said that I should not uh, sort of do things associated, really associated with Sean except I had to be Bond uh, and it, the one thing Martini shake and not stirred. I never ever said in a bond. Mm. Uh, and the only one I worried about was that I would come up with my name is James, <laughs> James Bond. <laughs> but um, 
I've managed to avoid doing that. <laughs> I'm, I'm curious, uh, your preparation for Bond on Bond, did you sit down and rewatch all of the Bond movies again? Uh, no, my assistant, Gareth, I, I work with all the time, and I've been doing this tour with him asking me questions. He, know, he knows the answers to questions because he knows more about me and more about Bond than I know. <laughs> and he is very good at doing all the research. And then we put it all together. But uh, were there any um, f of the Bond films that you hadn't seen for a while that you particularly kind of came back to and thought, wow, I'm going to dig that and watch that? Well, I, I, what I uh, saw, because my wife has not seen all the Bonds, so I had to show her. And then Living Daylights was playing on television, I showed her that, which I thought was a damn good film. Hmm. And John Glenn had really established himself as a good Bond director, I think. He did uh, two, let me think, it was a View to a Kill, and... Um, he did your last three, yeah. Fiora, his, mm. yeah, his, and I, I worked with him as a second unit director. I used to, I used to call him uh, Glenn the, the, the actor killer. <laughs> yeah, because when he was directing second, it was sort of, you know, yeah, well, that was quite good, but maybe we should go again, you know. And, oh, God, I'm tired. <laughs> <laughs> this time I'm going to fall over and I won't be able to get out of the way. And I remember we were shooting a, a scene on, again on Shard of the Devil, uh, which he was doing the second unit. And Lee Marvin and I and his d daughter were out to get the Germans and they are rolling steel plates on giant wheels across Africa to repair the Blucher battleship which has been holed and hundreds of people towing these enormous things and then when Lee who's up the hill starts shooting at them some fall and the wheels start to roll I'm at the bottom of the hill when I got down there I looked up and I thought these giant wheels are coming down with weighing tons and they come straight at me uh, and at the camera and I, and I said but they're going to end up in the tree down over my trees over on my left where uh, half of the African crew were sheltering I said, that is where the wheel will end up on them. They should be cleared. And I had to be in front of the camera as the thing comes down. And my own judgment, when to leave, <laughs> which should have also been on a queue from behind the camera. It never came. No queue came. I looked around. The whole camera crew had gone there, <laughs> running up the side of the hill to get out of the way of this damn wheel. Uh, I survived. Anyway, so we called him John. He, he was a wonderful uh, second unit director because he was a great editor who worked with Peter Hunt. Mm. Uh, Peter Hunt was the editor on uh, the first Bond, Doctor No. And he, in his cutting, he really established the style that Bond was to follow. And... John Glenn was his assistant. Peter Hunt unfortunately died. He, he directed one Bond, which was a very good, yeah, mm. very good direction on a Majesty's Secret Service. Indeed, I mean, you worked with um, three directors over seven Bond films. Yeah, uh, obviously, you know, Guy Hamilton, Lewis Gilbert, and John Glenn. Mm -hmm. 
what differences do they bring to your portrayal? Because every director has a different idea of how a character should act and behave. And, and did that ever mesh with what you well, I clash? They, they'd done so many television series. I really don't need telling what the character is doing. I know, you know, no, so nobody ever told me to do anything. <laughs> It was just as well, because I'd be argumentative. <laughs> uh, no, but, uh, you know, you see, see, I play myself. Uh, <laughs> you know, everything comes out like me, good, bad, and different. Uh, Lewis Gilbert I really loved, because he would say, you know, what are we going to say today, dear? <laughs> I said, what's the script say? He said, well, let's see if we can find something we like better. <laughs> and, and he had the same idiotic sense of humour that I did. And so we would experiment and shoot four or five, six different lines, throwaway lines, and see what the reaction was in, in uh, the viewing theatre when we showed it to the crew. Mm. When you went back to uh, revisit your films with several decades kind of hindsight is there anything that struck you as you wished you'd done it differently or you you yeah. didn't like the way you'd done something yeah every everything i do every single know, thing you know you think that can only be improved upon <laughs> no but talking about playing oneself i remember uh, uh, a cartoon of george arliss who was a great star of the 20s and 30s and he played historic characters disraeli etc and he's having a nightmare and he's surrounded by all these historic characters as he's playing and they're pointing their finger at him and saying and what's more you made us sound like you <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I, I'm, I'm guilty of the same thing I love the uh, the W innuendos that, that come up in your Bond films and some of them are really quite risque well, who, who was kind of pushing that element of it forward were you all kind of well uh, the first, Richard Maybaum and Tom Mankiewicz did a couple, did a few, and uh, Tom Mankiewicz wrote some great one-liners. One, my favourite, I think, being when I am questioning the, the gunsmith. Oh, this is Macau. from The Man with the Golden Gun. Yeah, in Macau. And he's got a rifle on a stand, and I drop the sights down to his crotch, and I say, speak now or forever hold your peace. <laughs> I saw a, a TV version of it, an American TV version of it, and they cut it. Oh, no. They cut the line. <laughs> Apparently, Americans get upset by the word peace. <laughs> <laughs> did, you, uh, did you ever get to contribute a line, one of those one-liners, or did you uh, leave that to the... Well, yeah, some of them, like, forget which I did. Uh, you know, you say them so often. Attempting re-entry is on that. I do remember... <laughs> no, that was, that was there. I remember John Glender, when we were doing uh, um, Octopussy, and I'm confronted by a, a tiger coming out of the bush, and the script says... Here, good, good pussy, good kitty. That won't work. And so John said, "Well, what are you going to say?" I said, "I, said, I should go sit." <laughs> he said, "Well, that's not funny." <laughs> <laughs> I said, "John, there's a famous lady called Barbara Woodhouse, who trains animals, and she always says sit, raising her finger." Uh, 
And he says, yeah, but that, that's in England. I said, it's shown in America. She's <laughs> it's shown worldwide. It, it was in. They didn't let me do a couple of things. They dropped my trousers when walking across the desert with Barbara Bath. <laughs> <laughs> you were quite mischievous with Desmond Llewellyn as well, weren't you? I've read uh, that you used to try and put him off as much as possible when he had his complicated speeches to well, do. I'd rewrite his uh, dialogue uh, <laughs> uh, and make sure that the director gave it to him before the take. And he'd spent two months learning this terrible dialogue he had. <laughs> And I wrote even worse, unintelligible dialogue. <laughs> uh, 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 we'd give to him and he'd say, oh, and, uh, and then he'd look at me and he'd see me. me he's, he's struggling to get these lines out. And I'm going... <clears throat> and he's thinking, God, this swine of an actor, laughing, and I'm sweating. And then I, I start roaring with laughter and the director does. <laughs> All of us in the know. Oh, yeah. he was, but he was a lovely man, Desmond. Did he ever get you back for any of that? No, he would. It's not. It wasn't in his nature. He was very forgiving. Mm. <laughs> no, he was a lovely man. The other thing we used to do is get him. I knew that he hated wearing shorts because he'd worn them in one film with uh, Sean, mm-hmm. and I would say, Louis, don't you think it will work better as we're sort of in the heat Desmond would have shorts <laughs> she said what <laughs> oh, oh no Nightbird he was a sweet man sweet man and I, I gather that Cubby Broccoli was a bit of a prankster himself did, did you fall victim to any of his uh... well uh, Cubby was my, my backgammon partner we, or opponent we played backgammon continually all through each film and kept a book uh, and we would settle up at the end of the movie. Uh, we'd get to hundreds of thousands uh, and then he'd say, well, the stake was now 200,000. <laughs> so knowing that odds are that at one point you've got to win and uh, reduce it down to two, two or three hundred. Not with the zeros after them and uh, and that's how we'd always pay up on the last day of shooting right he was a very generous man Cubby the crews loved him he was uh, one of those producers that are thoughtful and when we were in places like Macau where there was a casino and Cubby loved to gamble that's where I'd met him in a casino in in London in the 60s Mm. and uh, he would not let the crew take all their salary when we were in places where they could lose money he wanted them to have some money when they they finished the movie went home Uh, but he would go around the casino and in front of his boys he would put a stack of chips (laughs) he was absolutely lovely I spoke to Sam Mendes the other day, who directed Skyfall, yeah. obviously, and he said very similar things about Barbara Broccoli, that she really looks after the crew on oh, the set. Oh, yes. Well, that's the Broccoli uh, trait. Yeah, Barbara does a wonderful job. And Sam, Sam Mendes, he does a wonderful job with Skyfall. Mm. Mm. Fantastic. What did you, what did you uh, think of the uh, new Q, Ben Wishaw? He is quite extraordinary. It's, it's such a shock. I don't think we should talk about things that... Oh, no, it's... It's out on Friday, so, yeah. Oh, yeah. Friday. The premiere last night. 
I couldn't go. I was playing Basingstoke. Oh, that's right. <laughs> no, no, I mean, I was playing Basingstoke. <laughs> <laughs> uh, in fact, I said to the audience last night when I came out, they said, You're only here because you couldn't get an invite to the. Play. <laughs> <laughs> How is the uh, theatre tour going? Is it a. They've been going very well. They, they believe the lies I tell them. <laughs> Do you believe them? That's the uh, that's no, the key. No, the thing is that Garrett, who does it with me, and mm-hmm. sort of knows the answers to any question, and he throws things at me, and then he, and before we start, he says I, the format will be that we will talk for maybe thirty, forty minutes, and then we will take questions. The only question you cannot ask is who's your favourite Bond girl? <laughs> because that is an inevitable question. What's the most peculiar question you've been asked during these? Uh... David Williams. Right. David Williams came down uh, to do an article for Vanity Fair and he came down to Monaco and he said, you know, you sort of let out the challenge to find a question you've never been asked. He said, I'll uh, ask you one. Was Christopher Lee really the official hangman for the British Army at Nuremberg? <laughs> Crikey. <laughs> and? <laughs> well, Christopher used to have a, a little string with a noose on it, and he would t- say that he was uh, Pierpont's assistant. Okay. I don't know. <laughs> he, he, he's an am- amazing character. I first met him in 1948 when I'd just come out of the army and he was uh, we, we were 30 of us stage door Johnny's in a film called Trotty True with Gene Kent mm-hmm. and so with 30 struggling young actors sharing a large dressing room at Denham Studios and Christopher said if you had been in the forces with me you would have stood to attention any time he spoke to me <laughs> <laughs> and there was uh, another one of the boys in the room Charles Houston who had been in the army with me and he said shall I novel him for you I said no no leave him <laughs> then Christopher and I uh, worked in an episode of Ivanhoe he played Otto the Hun and then of course Caramanga indeed we, we um, we'd see one another around a lot of times see him various places where they make films like Rome I don't know sometimes Christopher I'm not sure whether he's fantasizing <laughs> but he has the most amazing photographic memory yeah he can you give him a book and he you say page 33 and he will quote the, f- the first line of the second paragraph, if you ask. Wow. It's amazing. I've seen him reciting Lord of the Rings um, on the sort of behind the scenes of that film, just quoting huge passage from that from that book. Do you, I'm curious if you keep up with modern cinema. Have you seen Christopher act in the Lord of the Rings films? Do you, what, did you see Michael Caine in Inception? Do, do you get to go out and do you follow that stuff? Uh, what was Inception? Oh, it's uh, by a director called Christopher Nolan. It came out two years ago? Uh, two years ago, 2009. Well, it was quite was Bond. Quite, um, well, big it's science fiction film about dreams within dreams. And Michael Caine has a very small role as a kind of professor in that. I don't think I saw it. Okay. Right. I've seen most things Michael does. Mm-hmm. It's very good. It's very good. Uh, but but um, Christopher Lee and yourself, you were participants recently in Everything or Nothing, that great documentary about Bond. All the Bonds are in that documentary 
except for one, Sean. Mm-hmm. And uh, I read an interview with you recently where you said that Sean doesn't really want to participate in... No, you know, no, no, you know he's trying to dissociate himself from mm-hmm. Bond. I think Sean resented uh, the fame, the celebrity that he gave him. He didn't want to be known as Mr. Bond mm-hmm. and his wife be called Mrs. Bond. Uh, I think get on with it, you know. So that means we will. will. Have you has has there ever been a point then when all of you might be in the same room together? Has that ever happened, or might that ever happen? No, no. Being in the same same premiere of and the same same lineup with Pierce Brosnan and George Lazenby and Timothy Dalton Mm -hmm. for the fortieth anniversary. Mm -hmm. But we don't hear people say, "Do do do do." all you bonds get together you have a club (laughs) (laughs) secret handshakes (laughs) Um, I'd like to ask you because James Bond and specifically your James Bond um, very very well dressed characters in the films and I just wondered what input you had into uh, any choice of costume because I know you were always incredibly well dressed and you enjoyed working with tailors like Cyril Castle and Dougie Haywood and I just wondered if you said to Eon that you would like to work with those people or if they kind of put them onto you No I I, uh, would say I would like and Cyril Castle did my first bond he did all the clothes all through the saint and through uh, the persuaders so uh, you know they don't object to that you Mm. know because they know he's your tailor and uh, in fact the Cyril Castle has just been bought because Cyril's dead and uh, on Sunday we had a uh, a luncheon about 150 people at Pinewood and a little talk uh, and there was a raffle and the prize was a suit made by Anthony Sinclair who had uh, and and Cyril Castle, they've opened up again. They they these gentlemen have, have, have bought the names, and they're going to make the clothes, and they're using the patterns. Mm. And so the, the the raffle prize was a suit by uh, Cyril Castle. Why? Did you get to keep any of your? suits from the films stole everything <laughs> <laughs> no, but anyway they, they, I also they're also making me a suit but I have to go and get a fitting first ah, okay and what about the uh, I guess the safari suit was uh, was Cyril behind this the that, that iconic safari suit that you wore the safari suit was Dougie Dougie Haywood I enjoyed you know the people joke about wearing the safari suit but I enjoyed you know i made films in, in Africa and mm. I know that that's the sort of clothing you, you wear you've got to be able to breathe that's very good if I could get away with wearing one I would wear one <laughs> yeah and the thing is you can pull it off which is <laughs> which is amazing well uh, I don't think I'm going to walk around London <laughs> <laughs> I don't know I think we should bring it back it's, it's maybe a, in the summer it's a, yeah, in the summer yeah it's a, it's a new fashion but going back uh, Roger to your or Charlie sorry uh, going back to the idea about your bond being a, a lover not a fighter mm-hmm. um, and that being something that you very much wanted to do yourself um, was that because you found the fight scenes distasteful you didn't you didn't enjoy doing them 
Oh, I like like the fight scenes. I didn't like the love scenes. I always had a double for that. <laughs> <laughs> no, you said people say, well, you know, you know what's it like? You know when you, you do all these great love scenes in bed. And, well, there's not much romance about it. You, know, you mm. usually shoot on a Monday morning uh, on a cold set. The studio's been closed for the weekend, and you sort of keep a pair of woolly socks on and get under the sheets. Uh, and it's very difficult to be romantic <laughs> when you've got 60 sparks on the rail above you <laughs> all looking down saying go on give her one roach <laughs> <laughs> but you know you just make jokes all the time I gather the Grace Jones uh, sex scene was particularly unromantic going from what I read in your book <laughs> you, I, f- I find it the policy that when you can find very little good to say about it and what he shouldn't say it. <laughs> okay. You, you did obliquely reference what went down uh, in the book, but we won't go into it in a polite podcast. <laughs> There's one, one of those things in life, mm. isn't it? <clears throat> Is this one of the reasons why you uh, you don't like that question, uh, who's your favourite Bond girl? You, you, <laughs> you want to avoid that? Uh, well, the, the answer, but, uh, you know, because that leads to who, who did you like least. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I've don't go down that route uh, you know first of all if you say oh this lady was my actress was my favourite the others will read it or hear it and say well, what was wrong with me <laughs> I that was very nice yeah. but I will say that Maud Adams did too the only, the only actress that's yeah. came back but not as the same character mm. of course uh, but, but Maud was wonderful on time didn't need her makeup to change all the time. <laughs> didn't have to go and have her hair done, <laughs> which you get, <laughs> which is. <sighs> so it's it's notable. For example, um, we don't want to dwell on Grace Jones, obviously, but uh, it's notable that she was present in your last Bond film. Was she instrumental in your decision to <laughs> to hang up the, the Walther, or did you? Or was that something that you were already about thinking about? I was thinking about it. Uh-huh. <laughs> I made up my mind. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, talking of uh, of you to a kill, Christopher Walken's in that, and he's an oh, actor that I really like. Yeah. Was he was he one of the most fun Bond villains to work with? Uh, yeah, I, lo- I loved uh, Chris. He, I don't know whether you know an actor called Sheldon Leonard, who usually played Chicago gangsters, mm-hmm. and he spoke. Ex- and I sit to shut my eyes and listen to Chris, and he sounds exactly like him. Uh, uh, we we were talking one day. He, he came and stayed. Uh, he and his wife came and stayed with us in Stadt at Christmas, and we were talking about you know the things that where we'd started and everything else. And I, in 1952, I'd gone to New to New York for the first time, and I worked on a show called Robert Montgomery Presents a couple of times. And Chris was a child and was in one of those episodes, one of those plays. So we were actually worked together before. <laughs> Did he remember? No, but we worked out that he must have been there. He's um, a very keen cook. Did he cook anything for you while he was staying over? Or No, no nobody goes in my kitchen. I do the cook. <laughs> <laughs> do you have a signature dish? Traditional English roast beef, Yorkshire pudding, roast lamb. Uh, do a lot of wok food. Christmas is... I'm, I'm forbidden, actually, this year, because my wife says that I tire myself 
cooking for a large number of people, <laughs> stuffing the turkey, making the stuffing, making the brandy butter, and mm. preparing all the vegetables, putting a little cross at the bottom of the, the, each Brussels sprout. <laughs> it takes time and you stand, and we have heated floors, and I think all that heat goes up through my feet. <laughs> 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 Uh, but I enjoy cooking, uh, and I, I think people, well, nobody dare complain. <laughs> no, of course not. Bond, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to ask you about a, a non-Bond film from your past, uh, which is one of my favourites of your of all of your films. It's called The Man Who Haunted Himself. Oh, uh, uh, 1970, I think, directed by Basil Dearden. Yeah. What, what, what are your memories of that? Because that's an extraordinary film. I'm so pleased you brought that up. It's the only film I think I've ever done where I was allowed to act. Yeah. Well, you don't have to agree so readily. <laughs> well, I was just... <laughs> yeah, the reason that I say it like that is because you play effectively two roles. Yeah, yeah. I play uh, uh, my evil other self. Uh, that wasn't acting. That was, that was me. <laughs> the was a nice guy. Uh, but Basil was a wonderful, wonderful director. And we had a lovely cast... There was a ter terrible coincidence on the film. At the beginning of the film, you know, I have like the car accident, mm. the rover that becomes a Lamborghini and then becomes a rover and it smashes uh, on the M4. And two years later, when I was doing Persuaders, Basil directed a few of the episodes. And one night he was leaving the studio and he had a crash in exactly the same spot that we shot the accident wow. on the M4 and unfortunately was decapitated. Oh dear. Uh, awful, awful day. Did you, when you were filming that and you got a chance to play a, a character very much unlike your usual characters, was that, did you relish the, the chance to do that, to play Bad Roger? Yeah, it's, uh, it's easy. <laughs> <laughs> don't have to wash. <laughs> <laughs> well, I thought you did a spectacular job. Well, thank you. Well, thank I just you. wanted to ask, uh, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of um, the comedy character Alan Partridge, and I was oh, pleased yeah. to read that you have seen the episode in which... Uh, yeah, I did. My father uh, said to me, and he said, you know, I'm very disappointed in you, son. I said, what's that? He said, you were supposed to be on television last night. He said, you never showed up. <laughs> I said, what are you talking about? And they, uh, he explained. I asked my uh, then secretary, and she told me what the episode was about, and then eventually I saw it. <laughs> and I said, Dad, Dad, it was, uh, that was the joke that, that I'm not showing you, but it's very bad. Very bad. <laughs> you shouldn't, shouldn't do that sort of thing. <laughs> and there's a later episode um, in which he sort of acts out the opening sequence from Spy Who Loved Me, same character. Oh, yeah, so there's this real that. affection for, for you in that. Yeah, but, I, I think he's very, very funny. Good stuff. And uh, on that show, on Alan Partridge, Rob Brydon does your voice. Uh, 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 there's, a, there's a point where Roger uh, calls Alan. Oh, yes. And it's yes. Rob Brydon who does oh, it uh, who impersonates yeah, you. Yeah, he, he did my vo voice in uh, a film they made together. Cock and Bull Story, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's fantastic. Uh, what, what's your... Uh, how do you rate Rob Brydon's Roger Moore? Makes me sound better than I am. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think... Uh, you know, people say, do you mind... Uh, uh, what was it? Strict... Uh, image... 
Spitting image. Spitting image, yes. No, I, the more Mickey they take out of you, the more flattered you are. You know, <laughs> politicians would beg to be sent yeah. up on it, <laughs> made them famous. Do I remember you, your puppet on that had a an arched eyebrow. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was about here, but it was, it was, it was up here yeah, somewhere. That was my fault. <laughs> I, was, I was asked once in an interview about my acting ability, and I said, yeah, uh, three expressions, left eyebrow up, right eyebrow up, <laughs> and both of them up together. <laughs> and it stuck with me. You know. My agent was saying, you must, you must stop saying these terrible things. <laughs> uh, you've you've been doing it here as well. I mean, you talk about... Um, how you were only allowed to act in The Man Who Haunted Himself. Oh. But did you not feel you got to act as Bond? I mean, you said you played yourself, but there were, for your eyes only, there are moments in that oh, that are quite... Bra- yes, you look yeah. brave, and yeah. you look adoringly at people. <laughs> you try not to blink firing guns. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's all acting. Talking about the, the Bonds getting back together and um, uh, or, or being a, a club of Bonds, I believe that George Lazenby is in your uh, email friends list. Yeah. Did you, did you email him jokes and yeah. thing, funny things you find yeah, on the internet? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. How did that? How did that come about? I don't know. I, I like George. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I met him when he was doing uh, Bond, and he was getting all this dreadful publicity. Mm-hmm. And I said to him, you know, you, you're not doing yourself any favour. You, I said, you. Know, Try behaving in a decent way, <laughs> and he said, "You're right. You're absolutely right. Oh, you're right, sport." He said. <laughs> uh, and next day he was at it again. But he, Cubby asked him why he behaved like that and he, uh, when they were making the film, and he said, "Because Harry Saltzman told me to behave like a movie star." <laughs> I mean, he thought the movie stars sent the car back. <laughs> A rude Nate Garlic before kissing Diary. <laughs> <laughs> and how about Sean? Uh, when did you last see him? A couple of years ago. Sean, Sean uh, is, uh, doesn't come over that often. Hmm. He, you know, he lives in the Bahamas. Oh, did you see him Life there, or did he come visit you, or how did that? No, we we had uh, meals together. And we used to see more of one another in California. Mm. when I was living there and he had a place so when you were Bond um, obviously you didn't act the way George Lazby acted when he was when he was Bond were you aware of your responsibilities uh, were you did you think of yourself as a role model for people or no I, I behave as I always do try to be polite I, I had parents who were very strict uh, with me about manners mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, oh, yeah, one thing was, you know, if a neighbour asked you to run an errand, you were not to accept any money for it. <laughs> and I, one of my Saturday morning uh, pick up an extra pocket money jobs was uh, working with the, the United Dairies milkman, mm-hmm. go on his rounds with him. And uh, I had to go and knock on somebody's door for them to pay the bill. And it was an old lady, uh, uh, and she, her bill was about penny three farthings or something, and she gave me tuppence, and I came back with a farthing, she said, no, you keep it, Sonny. And I said, no, I can't do it. Oh, it's not bloody good enough for you, is it? <laughs> oh, I see, right, no snob you are. 
And I, I tried to say, my mother says I mustn't take money. <laughs> but there you are. I, no, I will take money. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> I'm afraid you come to the wrong place. <laughs> we don't have a lot of money here, sadly, but uh, uh, we will have to let you go. Uh, it's been an absolute pleasure. It'd Thank you so much for coming in. To all of you. Thank you very much. Uh, Thank you. Thank you. Roger Moore. I hope we do it again. Oh, I'm sure we will. I I hope I get another job. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks very much. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. That was very exciting. And there you have it. That is our From the Archives podcast special interview with the late, great Sir Roger Moore. What a legend. Uh, If you like that and you don't already subscribe to the Empire Podcast, you can do so via iTunes. And do keep an eye out for more podcast specials coming your way, including spoiler specials for the likes of Pirates of the Caribbean, Salazar's Revenge, Wonder Woman, Baby Driver, and more. Thanks for listening. I've been Chris Hewitt. Goodbye.